I wasn't ready from a batting perspective. I was, you know, facing really quick bowlers. Uh, and second game, we played Len Pascoe. My fifth game, we played Jeff Lawson. And I got no problem telling anyone that I was absolutely packing it. Welcome back to the From Then To Now podcast. In episode six, we chat with former Australian cricketer and radio personality, Gavin Robertson. Robertson was an accomplished state-level cricketer across stints for New South Wales and Tasmania before he was picked to make his test debut for Australia. He has since turned his attention to the airwaves, hosting his own show on 2SM Radio, and he even played the drums in the famous cricketing band Six and Out. We caught up with Robbo to chat about the bizarre place he was when he found out about his test debut, his recent health battles, and plenty more. Enjoy. From the start, Robert, where did cricket begin for you? Uh, cricket began for me probably around the age of nine and all of a sudden I'm playing cricket with a bunch of mates from Dundas and none of us had really ever played before and somehow I got the ball first, I think because I could run in and bowl straight and I didn't know if I was a batsman or a bowler and the bigger fluke is I took seven for four and all of a sudden it became really serious with my parents and and... Bill Madden, who was the coach of the side, and he became completely committed to cricket and all of a sudden I was committed to cricket and and no more soccer, which, well, I played club soccer, but it just wasn't as... I, I think I wanted to play for Australia for a long, t- you know, long time and all of a sudden I was going to become a cricketer, so that's how it happened. At what age did you realise you, you did have some ability? It's probably a year and a bit later. I went away with the New South Wales primary school competition for Met West and ran into... I did quite well, but... I got picked into the New South Wales schoolboys team. And I think, I mean, I was surprised, but but two twins from Bankstown were always were also in that side. And I thought, this is pretty serious. And we, we're a pretty good side. And all of a sudden, you know, we were doing all right. And uh, that was for me when it, all of a sudden I, I was in reps. And it, it started to get busier. And you played every Sunday or pretty much every Sunday, and all of a sudden you thought, okay, well, where can I go next? How did, uh, how did it start for you in grade cricket? Grade cricket was just a fluke. I went to watch um, my coach's son, Chris Madden. He was trying out for Greenshield at Balmain. I just went to watch him, and uh, Greg Fitzgerald uh, also, um, and Gary Richardson, who both openers for the Balmain first grade team, were the coaches, and they said, oh, we need another bowler. Could you go in the third net and bowl? And I bowled away and then I finished the first week. They said, could you come back the second week? And I think, I remember Chris saying, I was only 12. So I came back the second week and the third week. And come the fourth week, I was the 15th kid picked in the Greenshield squad. And next minute I was, took a game or two and I was playing all of a sudden. And I, I have no comprehension. That wasn't an aim. It just was turned up to watch a mate and this crazy thing happened. And... You know, I, I sort of did pretty well that year and then the next year Mike Gadding was at the club and he was our coach and I was in again and it just got, uh, we had a good side, we actually won the Green Shield and, you know, I think back to those days and I remember it being really special. It was very intense and, and just as special. How old were you when you debuted in grade? I think I was 16 and a half, 17 mm. and I got picked in second grade for the first game, did okay. And Ian Davis come to me, who was the former 
Australian opening batsman, and he said, um, you're going to come to first grade for the second game. And I, I remember being in the car on the way home thinking, really? I, I, I didn't, I wasn't sure. I mean, I, I was guessing. I, 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 could, I didn't think at 17, 16, 17 years of age, I was anywhere near ready for that. And I wasn't ready from a batting perspective. I was, you know, facing really quick bowlers. Uh, and second game, we played Len Pascoe. My fifth game, we played Jeff Lawson. And I got no problem telling anyone that I was absolutely <laughs> packing it. I remember saying to Darren Tucker, who played for New South Wales also and is the boss of New Balance these days, I said, I don't really want to go and, and face him. He, he's frightening. But, you know, I, a couple of years went and, you know, I got picked into the Australian under-19 team a year and a half uh, later. And the world just moved quickly from then on. I, I came back and I was lucky to be picked in the Australian under-19 team, I say. I thought that um, Peter McClay was the left-arm spinner and, and Paul Sheehan and Leggy from Victoria. I thought, well, they're going to be the guys. And again, I got picked as the 16th man to go to India in 1985. And I just thought I'd be making drinks for 12 weeks. And I, I missed the first game and I played every game after that. And... What that did was it brought me home to, back home and immediately into the squad of New South Wales and that's when things, you know, you start to hope and then you've got to learn to go, f go past hope and do the work and become an owner of what you do. Do you remember the circumstances around New South Wales debut? Um, yeah, I was, I'd gone from Balmain to Mossman basically just to get a lot of overs. Balmain had such a good bowling attack, it was hard to get overs and... I went across there with John Skilbeck and Gary Bensley and uh, just bowled a lot and got a lot of wickets and all of a sudden went through second 11 cricket and did well. And next minute, I'm into um, being picked for New South Wales to go to Vic uh, Victoria and debut at the MCG. And um, yeah, it would have been a lot better if Jamie Siddons hadn't got 120. That would have been a lot better. Um, but uh, yeah, they're... they're all of a sudden the dreams come true, so you've got to adapt. And I think um, when you're a new young New South Wales player, you're not totally sure of what the commitment is. And then what happens with New South Wales, you get run into by past greats, you know, Bob Holland, Murray Bennett, uh, Rick McCosker, Mike Whitney, Jeff Lawson. The, the, the list is long, but for me, probably Murray Bennett was the one of the great learn teachers you could call him I knew I was up and down and doing sort of okay but I he said to me if you're going to play for New South Wales at the SCG come day four if you don't think it's your job like you've got to come here as the spin bowler with your partner that might be David Friedman or Adrian Tucker or Greg Matthews or whoever it was you are the guys that you know us as spin bowlers he said we've got to get the job done so accept it and take it on it was a really really good lesson and there was no, no running away from it. From there, um, fair to say you're in and out of the side a little? And oh, the, look, I, going back to the debut, mm. I was 87. Mm. I, I was, when Greg Matthews got dropped from the Australian mm. side, I thought, wow, mm. it's going to be difficult to get a game. And Tasmania called. Dirk mm. Wellham, the former New South Wales captain, said, come here, you're going to play. Um, so I went to Tassie for two years to play, just to keep playing Sheffield Shield cricket. Um, which was a good thing. Um, but then I decided, you know, I'd, I'd had a, my first child and I decided it's time to go home. 
not that I'm being critical against ta Tasmania, but you know I loved New South Wales, and they played aggressively, and I wanted to be that aggressive type of player, and and it was like let's not turn up and see how we go, let's turn up and win. So I literally my problem was in the last game of the year Tasmania were playing New South Wales, T New South Wales had to win first innings to have a she uh, Sheffield Shield final here at the SCG and. Myself and Rod Tucker, who's also a, a former New South Wales player, we, we stuffed it up. So New South Wales got, scored 5-17 uh, and somehow Rod Tucker and I, Rod Tucker got 177 and I got 99. Bowled by Wayne Holsworth, the third new ball. But, um, and New South Wales didn't get the, the final at home, had to get play Victoria at the MCG for the final and lost. But I came home and... I was on the plane the next day after that game, I back to New South Wales, into a job and hoping to just get picked into the Shield squad next season. And I thought I would until I had a phone call from one of the selectors saying, you're the 25th player picked, you're the last player picked. So you'll have to start again and build your way back in. So it was a, I don't mind hard calls. Uh, I, you know, today the environment we live in it's almost like you can't make a hard call with a young kid because they don't handle it. And we're worried about young people's mental health. So it wasn't, mental health wasn't a subject when I was growing up. It was either this is how it is, cop it or take a hike. And it sounds wrong, but that's the way it was. How long did it take you to you know, get your spot back and cement a spot back in the blue side? It took uh, 18 months. Hmm. So um, from 90... 91, 92, I didn't play at all, hardly. I, um, and then the next season, I, I think I came in against uh, Queensland at the SCG, uh, myself and Greg Matthews, and luckily I took six wickets and got 50, and that enabled me back it, to be back in and around. I, it didn't mean I was going to play all the time, but I was, I was straight into the one-day squads. And, and uh, we not only won the Sheffield Shield that year, uh, we won the one-day final, and then... Uh, Again, 93, 94 starts and we don't start that well. And um, the thing about the 93, 94 it, it, season for New South Wales is, is that it's the true baby blues squad. Um, that team goes and 93, 94 wins the one day competition, wins the Sheffield Shield. But go back on the third game of the year, it is beaten at the Wacker by Western Australia in one day four hours and ten minutes. It's the worst Sheffield Shield loss in the history of the game and you know it was devastating. We had to come home, all of our faces were on a gravestone on the front page of the of the uh, of the major paper and you know that was and we, we, we were faced with some really harsh sentences but we had to make some decisions and we we lifted and we won off the back of really Steve Waugh captaining the uh, South Australian game next. Uh, and we just, we won every game. We won the last six in a row. We won every one day game. And you know, that, that baby blue side is never remembered. And I, I, at any trivia night, nobody can name the full side unless they go to Google or something like that. But nobody can name it because no one remembers it. And produced a lot of you know, outstanding players for Australia. Yeah, yeah, it was, you know, you think about it, the only Australian players in the side mm. of where that, that was myself, 
Phil Emery and Michael Bevan. And that was it. And, you know, you, you should be mentioning Rod Davidson and Marty Hayward and Shane Lee. Well, Shane Lee, it was Shane Lee's first ever season. He came in as, a, he was just a baby. And, um, you know, Wayne Holzhurst was there, David Friedman, uh, Adrian Tucker, um, you know, Phil, uh, big, uh, Phil Alley. You think about the side and you think, you know, that was probably one of the, the most astonishing victories because we were beating sides. We went back to play, or Western Australia came here. They had eight test players in their side and we, we beat them in two and a half days, three days. So, you know, a lot of those cricket memories uh, vanished from the learnings of young people today. Um, we just live with what's now and we forget very easily. If someone had tapped you on the shoulder back after that whack a loss and said, you know, you'd be playing for Australia in a few years, what, what would you have said to them? No, no. I, I mean, I was... No, I didn't believe that at all. I, I mean, I desperately wanted to, but we had an astonishing team. You know, the late 80s, all the 90s, and right up to probably 2008, 9, 10, we just... We had 20 years of astonishing teams. We also had teams where it was almost impossible to get in. And you look at today and, you know, players get opportunities. They get picked, they get a baggy green and a number... I suppose I've got to say it in the most honest way, a, a hell of a lot easier. Um, you know, I, I remember w we won the final uh, of 93-94, the Shield final, and I thought, well, you know, I've got a winter off, and next minute, Pete Overton uh, calls and says, I'm coming around, where are you? Why? You've been picked in the Australian side, I'm going to do an interview, and I was shocked. I was going to go to Sri Lanka and Pakistan. I was completely shocked, and it was exciting. And... Um, you know, life just took off, absolutely took off. We spent, uh, you know, a couple of months in Sri Lanka, then over to Pakistan and and then back home to Australia for the 94-95 season, which is the famous Australia v Australia A series. Mm. Anyone old enough? Yeah. You know, I'm not saying you're old, but I am. <laughs> you and I are old enough to remember what that was like. Yeah. And... Uh, that was incredible. I think we made so many good players off the back of that series. You know, when you go Hayden, Langer, Ponting, Lehman, Blewett, uh, the list is long of players that had to play in Australia A and fight and, and then in the ensuing 10 years became great test players for us. So it didn't work out the best for myself. I, um, I played in the Australia versus Australia A final at the MCG on January the 23rd of 95 and didn't make the, the, the squad that was going to go overseas for the Australian squad. Uh, and then I thought, well, I've got New South Wales. And didn't, uh, seven days later, I was dropped out of New South Wales completely. I still, I, I can't give you any answers. <laughs> All that I can tell you is five weeks later, Centrelink was an amazing <laughs> place to be. Before you were called up for Australia, were you, is it right you were packing shelves at a grocery store? Um, no, that was after 95, mm. but mm. before that I worked at Albion C&D mm. and made helmets and also the SP cricket bats. Um, and then I went to Dunlop Slazenger. I spent a lot of years at Dunlop Slazenger uh, making bats and doing orders and, and then I went into the sales representative part in the office. Uh, they were great days, you know, but I, I very much worked in the cricket framework or the sporting framework and then off the back of what I was saying to you about being at Centrelink, I basically got to a point where I couldn't get employed. 
because people knew me from the Australian team or squad, expected to me like to be in the New South Wales team and we didn't have contracts in those days. So, you know, after four or five weeks, I, there was no money coming in. I couldn't feed the kids. I, I had to do the Centrelink thing and I, I went that way really quickly. And I, I, I listened today to younger players like young Pukowski and, and different players that are, you know, having some mental issues. I put myself in that tag then. Um, I, I ran away. Um, I basically didn't want anyone to see where I was going, how I was going, and, uh, and I won't bore you with the story too much, but theoretically I would go to Centrelink at Parramatta and I'd hide myself in Parramatta Park Monday to Friday and end up being just under four months and then was fronted by an old man. The old man was a retired, self-funded man, uh, never went to school and loved cricket and he knew me and asked what, what, was, what was I doing there. So I had four and a half hours with that man of just great mentoring, listening to his story and I went home. Two days later a guy called me and said, will you come and pick boxes at the... Uh, at David's Limited, which is IGA Metcash? I said yes. I would never have said yes to that. And I spent really the next three and a half years just being absolutely dedicated to IGA Metcash. I loved it. It was, you know, I started in the warehouse and worked my way up to be running New South Wales shelf management for IGA and Metcash and David's Limited. And it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. A remarkable journey for that, that test debut. Like, what were the circumstances around that? Can you take us through that? Yeah, I was sitting in my office at, um, at Metcash at Blacktown. And uh, I was taking holidays to sneak away and play the odd second 11 game. But uh, a lot of second 11 games I'd say no to. But uh, Phil Wilkins, the great journalist, came up to me and said to me, I've had a really weird test conference today the Australian team, and Steve Waugh told me that um, you were bowling very well and, and should be getting opportunity and I should keep an eye out for you. I was like, really? <laughs> I'm trying to, but we'll see what happens. And then next minute I got picked. Sha uh, Shane Warne was injured for the New Zealand tour. This is 1997-98. And uh, so January of 98, I head to New Zealand to play one-day games and get the most wickets and do quite well. And I come home and go straight back to work and uh, then there's an announcement 10 days later of the Indian test squad and I'm in it. And, and honestly, I don't, like, how, can, how can you think I'm going to play? Shane Warne and Stuart McGill and I thought, well, I'm just happy to be there and I'll be happy to make drinks. And it didn't turn out that way. I, you know, Steve Waugh walked back in, we were rooming together, he said, you're going to play the first test. I said, who are you not playing? Because India turns and, I mean, India had an astonishing team, you know, uh, Vivius Laxman, Rahul Dravid, Navjot Singh Sidhu, Tendulkar, Azaruddin, Ganguly. I thought, really? Okay. And it was because they wanted a leg spinner and an off spinner. And somehow Stuart McGill missed out. Um, and then I played all three tests and and the only time I ever win a trivia comp, uh, or not a co competition, but a question if they ask who got the most wickets in 98, somehow Warney only got six and I end up getting 12. And that was great. <laughs> that was fun, you know. It was, uh, 
It was one of the most, I think it's the hot, most highly attended test series ever. Um, I think uh, like every, every day was completely packed. It was incredible because Tendulkar was, versus, it was up against Shane Warne and that was like Muhammad Ali versus an opponent. Like on every paper, every city and town we went into, it was Tendulkar versus Warne. It was it was unbelievable. Were you pinching yourself looking around the dressing room and looking at the crowd? And yeah. Well, Calcutta, Eden Gardens holds 121,000 people. And I remember first, the second test match, we were driving in a bus. And I said to Steve, well, what's all these people lined up for? We, the ground looks like it's still a couple of kilometres away because we could see from the light posts. And he said, they're lining up to get in the ground. And they were, there was lines all around the, you know, the circumference of the ground. There were just people lining up to get in and they were there two hours before. And I, I've never been to a crowd, you know, 100 and we had 106 and 98 and 101 and, and they're loud and passionate. And so it's, it's, it's something that's not describable or, or I can say that, you know, puts you in a place where you totally understand what that feeling was like. So who presented your bag you're in? Do you remember and do you remember, I mean, you did quite well on debut as well. Yeah, we didn't, uh, I was the, myself, Darren Lehman and Adam Dale were the last three players before they moved to presenting your baggy green. So uh, if anyone doesn't know, how you got your baggy green was New South Wales, uh, sorry, Australian cricket would pack your cricket bag for you with your shirts, your jumpers and in a plastic a little plastic bag at the corner is your baggy green. Uh, it's an interesting, I laugh about it. I'd rather have um, a funny way of talking yeah. about how you got your baggy green. <laughs> so, yeah, found it in the corner of my bag. So, and that, uh, the good, only other yeah. thing about it is 94 tour that I went in the earlier days I was talking about, they also left a baggy green in the corner of the bag and they never asked for it back. So, luckily, I got two. Yeah. <laughs> but a good de debut, Robert, a five wickets and a half century. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was an interesting time. I, I, my problem was I'd played one day cricket before, and on my international debut in Sri Lanka, I got hit for six first ball. Then, on my one day international debut back home in Australia at the MCG, I sadly got hit for six first ball again. So, by that stage with the boys, it was, be it was becoming a bit of a joke, which I don't mind a joke. Um, problem was getting picked the test debut. Steve Waugh thought it was funny to bring it up at mid-off. I won't take you through his arduous humour, but um, I, I did think that I was bowling to Nayan Mongia, who was the uh, wicketkeeper. He was only five foot seven, five foot eight wicketkeeper, but he was opening the bat for some reason. I thought this is the perfect opportunity to get past getting hit for six. But Nayan was very good at IT and obviously he must have had a look at Google. He didn't want to destroy this story. I remember buying a really good ball, but you know, if I was a chiropractor, I would think that he nearly, he nearly destroyed C, uh, L5 and S1 because he swung so hard to hit this thing out of the ground and middled it. And I remember bowling thinking, no, because it was a good delivery and it, off it was going over deep mid-wicket high in the air and the, uh, the great English umpire Shepherd, he was like looking at it and I saw it bounce and thought beauty that's four but looked to the skies and Shep was oh no I think we better check and I, he was like oh, just checking lad and I was like oh I think it's four 
and uh, next minute I had to wait a couple of minutes till they decided if it was six or four. I just wanted to break the, the, the consistent hoodoo, you know. I wanted to get far away from it. I had, I had three kids, I wanted them to be proud, you know. So anyway, I never forget when he finally um, signaled that it was four, I clapped him and said, thanks. I told you it was four and I was a, I was a pretty happy man to break that. Because I mean, how could you? You know, how do your kids go on in life? Your father gets hit for six first ball on every debut. It's embarrassing. The rest of the test, I mean, Australia didn't win it, but it personally, yeah, it wasn't a bad performance from you. Yeah, it was. Well, I we, we bowled them out, and you know, I, I was I was none for fifty-two off ten, and I, you know, I may as well be honest for you and tell you I thought I was done. I honestly, and that's weak. You know, it is weak, and it's. Theoretically, not how I think, but I just had that moment. I, was, I went to fine league. I didn't bowl for two hours, two and a half hours. Uh, then Mark Taylor said, "You're back on." And I remember Steve War walking down to fine league to sort of, you know, to get the cap. And, I, and he really sort of grabbed my cap and a slight shove in the chest and said, "We wouldn't put up with this attitude, or would you do it if we were playing at Bankstown or Victoria, or wherever?" And he said. Uh, you know, it's time to get stuck into these blokes. And it was a really good wake-up call for me. And I walked up and marked it out. And my aim was to just bowl strong and try and get a maiden. And all the other players lifted, darted in and fielded the ball, threw it at the batsman and the pressure changed. And I bowled three maidens. And Sarah Ganguly got forward lazily and it hit him on the pad. And I was almost shocked, like, I better appeal. And I remember appealing and, the, and George Sharp, the Nottinghamshire umpire, was at my end. And I don't know if he liked Sarah Ganguly, but I remember him going up almost with a smile and saying, hey, lad, that's old. And I, off, I was off and running, you know. I'd went from none for 52 to finishing with four for 72. So, you know, off, I think I'd end up buying 30 overs. So I was, I was happy about that and thought I'm playing in the best team in the world. Now it's time for two days with your feet up and... We were eight for 160. We were in real trouble. And all I can remember was being a bit panicked and having to pad up. And uh, luckily, I the two things that happened there was Steve Waugh sort of said to me when I got picked, Ian Healy was the guy that didn't vote for you, but the other two did. So I And I had to walk out to bat. Who was I walking out to bat with? Ian Healy. And Heels and I had always got on okay, but we when in state games, we'd, we'd really have... We'd be into it. It'd be a bit of a blue, and they were tough games, Queensland, New South Wales. But that was the type of inspiration. I just wanted to stay there for him and try and, and we did. We broke a record. We put on 102, and I, I just defended, got off strike, defended, got off strike. And you know, people talk to you about batting in tough situations, like, say, David Warner in England or something. If you can just watch the ball and get off strike, you don't have to be great, but just keep rotating the strike and. Heels really, he played beautifully, got scored 90. And for me, you know, I ended up with 57. But to start with, you know, four and another wicket in the second dig, but five wickets and 50 was a, you know, it's a dream come true for a, a bloke that was, you know, always fighting to get into mm. a side like that. How was uh, Warney with you back then? That was the, I think that was the Baked Beans Tour, was it? That was the Baked Beans Tour, yeah. Imagine today if you ordered Baked Beans, a, pla uh, uh, a whole stack of Baked Beans, it would be... Uh, our beautiful PC world would see that as being horrible to a community. So, yeah, a lot of us ate Warney's baked beans. Uh, we'd have um, 
toast and baked beans, toast and Vegemite. Uh -huh. Yeah, it was quite funny. That it got shipped around with us. Did, did he actually have boxes of oh, the stuff? An entire crate full, a pallet full of baked beans lasted the ten and a half, eleven weeks of the Indian tour, and all the boys were into it. So it's quite funny. You've mentioned Steve a few times. There's no secret you two are the best of mates. Um, what does he mean to you, Steve War? Yeah, uh, Stephen and Mark. I, you know, I, at first I didn't. I was scared of them. I didn't like them. I wanted to beat them. Um, they're pretty tough buggers, and um, I suppose you know, around 12, 13, 14, we, we just became great mates and been great mates ever since. But you know, they're they're just blokes that have you know in your cricketing career, you know, they'll back you. And I, I got a lot of good times I can remember about you know that having the down times and and having people who back you. You need that. Uh, everyone needs positivity in their in their sporting framework. So they're very good like that, and they have their moments too. You know, so um, and these days I'm heavily a part of the Steve War Foundation, which is how do you help kids that are you know they got rare disease, and that's an easy thing to do. Just do whatever you can do to raise money and help them. You must be proud of what Steve's achieved outside of cricket. Yeah, he's done a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the foundation's become mm. so intense. Sometimes mm. I, I, I worry it's too intense mm. on him, uh, him and his family. But um, yeah, who I think once you give the game away or sport away, you, you've got 30, 35 years of work and you've got to make a difference. You, you want those 35 years to have a, a, a legacy other than being an off-spinning you know, part-time batsman um, played some test cricket. You want to do other things in your life and you want to have other legacies in your life. So that's a part of that. Why, why do you think Steve took a particular shine to you and you became great mates? He was, like you said, he always backed you. Was there something, because uh, you're different personalities on the yeah. surface. Yeah, we are. I, I, yeah, we blew it. In the early days, we'd blew. Because he, he, you know, if you, we, we used to play soccer against each other. They played for uh, Bankstown and I played for Granville. And I remember thinking, there's no way they're going to beat us. And they beat us 3-1. The only good thing was I scored a goal that day. And getting beaten by them, I thought, that's it, you know. Like, But I realised these blokes don't give up. And who, who do I want to be as a sports person? Uh, that's who I am. I grew up in Dundas Valley. And if you wanted to walk down the street and think you could walk all over everyone and, and, and you could just give up, then you're going to be in trouble. So we became you know, really good mates off the back of that. And, you know, I think that their belief is bring on any challenge and I, as a sports person, will take it on. And that's how they think and that's how I think and that's how New South Wales cricket, from, from what I can remember, always thought. So it's an attitude. Sport's an attitude in the end. How do you look back on your cricket career, Robert? How would you like people to remember you as uh, a cricketer? I think... I'd be happy for them to just remember um, someone that didn't give up and the job was to win. And, you know, I felt it was for New South Wales, it was to win for New South Wales because we had this pride, you know. People in milk bars and news agents and at the, the gas store where I'd go to get petrol, and they, they loved it. So there was a pride around it and there was also a responsibility. That's the way. I think um, the best way to take that mental stress off yourself mm. Uh, young people who are going through it playing sport now, put it back onto the how lucky you are and the legacy you want to create and also the loyalty to the, to the brand of whatever that brand is and what you want to give it. 
And I think that's a great way to handle things. Uh, From both a mental, mental point of view, because it allows you to be that physical sports person that brings it all. 2SM, to talk us through a normal day at 2SM and how did it start and you, yeah. you, you really enjoy it by the sound of it. It started, I suppose, out of cricket. Um, my first coach, and I go back to New South Wales, I got out of the Green Shield years and fluked my way in out of the under 16s into the under 19 New South Wales team. Again, I don't mind talking about flukes and being lucky. Um, uh, Graeme Hughes's father, Noel, was the coach of the New South Wales team. And he picked me. I was, the, again, the 15th bloke. And that started for me. And Noel was such a good coach that first year, or the first two years. He just taught me a lot. And um, I got to know Graham. Um, and the weird thing was I was 11 or 12. Myself and Steve Warren Mark were all won the college test bats. And you know, the local t uh, paper would put it in the middle of the paper and you'd get a brand new cricket bat. And a New South Wales player would present it. And mine was the Australian New South Wales opener, Alan Turner. And that was the first time I was only uh, 12 then. I met, met Graham Hughes. And then his dad coached me. And then Graham and I were in the squad together for a little bit. And he was off doing his TV commentary. But, um, and then we were playing cricket against each other. So all of a sudden, you know, back in 2004, actually it was 2003, late, around about December. And... Uh, Richard Cheekwe rang me and said, um, Graham Hughes wants your phone number. Can he give you a call? I said, yeah. And he called me and said, I'm going to be starting a radio show here at 2SM. I want you on board. Right, it was, that was a, another great fluke. And uh, we've been here 17 years now. And we go out to, you know, 96% of New South Wales and all of South East Queensland. And we have a very, our, our job here is to talk sport. But we are basically, the theory is we're on the end of a bar. There's three blokes and a whole bunch of other people in the bar having a quiet one. Could be a lemonade, could be a light one. And they're just listening and talking sport. And we're talking opinions and we don't always agree in that studio. Um, but the other thing about it is the guy who's a bricklayer or an accountant or a plumber and they're driving home or they're at the office they think differently too. So they might think how Brett Papworth thinks or how the, whatever statement I've said. So immediately you're dragging people into the conversation where they go, oh, I agree or don't agree. And it's like, you know, one of the great things you can do in Australia is work hard. And what do you do? You, you tend to go to the corner of the pub, have a car one with one of your best mates and just talk sport. You better give Tunksy a rap too. What does Tunksy bring to the show? Yeah, well, Tunksy, yeah. I, Tunksy's just brings this reality of rugby league. You know, I, you know, he's had incredible success in rugby league in England, you know, from coaching and, and being chairmen and CEOs over there in the management part of, yeah, we don't use him here. He's, he's, I think his brutal truth and brutal knowledge about the sport uh, helps. And he's, he's, he's had at least a dozen young kids. He coached kids from under 12s right through to under 17s. He's had a dozen of those kids go into under-20s representative football and also NRL, and yeah, we're lucky to have him. And you know, NRL, I think they're unlucky not to use him. He's, he's, he has that brutal type of mind. And when you want the honesty to become good, you may as well get the honesty. And Pappy's a sharp rugby brain too, isn't he? Yeah, Pappy loves his rugby. Uh, he's also a mad golfing guru, and he's completely addicted to cricket. What I didn't tell you earlier was that uh, 
when I played Green Shield and I was 12, my first two years, 12 and 13, uh, I played with Brett Papworth. He was our wicketkeeper. And the, uh, the Green Shield, the New South Wales representative for the, the under-16s part where he was the wicketkeeper. So he was actually the wicketkeeper, Pappy, before Bronco de Jura. Yeah. And Bronco de Jura did so well. We lost, cricket lost him to rugby league. But if he doesn't go to rugby league, maybe Ian Healy doesn't get his opportunity. Isn't it amazing how, how things happen in, in sport? And private life, things were going along nicely. Then you get this out of the blue, this yeah. illness raises well, it. off the back of, um, you know, working at uh, IGA Metcash and, you know, I'd always been a worker. Uh, once I finished playing cricket, I worked pretty hard and, um, you know, I've been sort of involved with the Giants and radio now for a long, long time and... I, I was here, and I didn't tell Graham. I was sort of at a, a, an ad break and sent a message to Dr. Charlie Tia, who's a good mate of myself, and Steve Wars. I said, when I clean my teeth in the morning, sometimes I get this funny pain behind my eye. Charlie, what? You know, does that sound weird? He said, call me. So I called him. The next day, he said, come here. I had an MRI. I waited five, six days. He called me, and I was in Melbourne with the Giants. He said, where are you? I said, I'm in Melbourne. He said, well, get on a plane. Steve was going to pick you up 3.30, 4 o'clock, bring you to me, and we're going to take a golf-sized brain tumour out of the left-hand side of your brain. And it all happened from 12 o'clock phone call. I think I went into surgery at 5.35 and came out at 8 and was back home 2.30 the next day. But, um, you know... From that, your from your question, to understand, uh, it's a sh it's it's a shock that I don't want to, you know, exp I can't explain what that twenty four hours or two days was like. Uh, but then going through, you got to wait, and then I had to wait to find out it was a it's a grade four glioblastoma. So I said to Charlie, "What's that?" He goes, "It's the worst." I go, "Okay, well, if it's the worst, whatever. What do we do now?" And he said, "You're already." sorted, to, you're booked in all next week. These are the people you have to go and see. And Professor Helen Wheeler and Dr Michael Back. Michael Back I played cricket against for a dozen years uh, and Marina and everyone at Royal North Shore Hospital. They're, they're a team. And the weird thing is, you know, they're no different a team as we were a team, but New South Wales, how they work and what they do and, and the legacy part at the end of trying to help people. So, you know, all of a sudden it's, we're six months now ago and I'm my attitude is I don't care what, I, what I've got I'm just going to do what they say take what they say do what they say and keep trying to get better each day and keep searching you know for a good next result and that's I'm only concentrating on eight weeks I've got eight more weeks get to my next MRI go again and I'll just do that for the two years they say and just keep going and I'm not ad adding up the days or I'm living now, living today, and, and focus that way and keep things very simple. I suppose my biggest lesson would be what was my life before? I would call it complicated. And my life's aiming at more simple life, which we grew up with. We grew up with a life that was simpler. Uh, the roads were simpler. Phones cause havoc for young kids, speed and opinions. So I'm searching on simplicity and staying positive. You, you sound like you're sort of at peace with yourself, is it? Yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the only way to be. Because there's no other way 
you know, you can be negative and still face the same garage wall um, or brick wall. I, my point is, in my head, is stay positive. Keep it simple. Keep doing what they say. Don't try and, don't try and be a doctor. Don't try and adjudicate everything and judge everything and, and find answers for everything. Just do what the people who have the knowledge say. Health-wise, I'm guessing you have good days. You look great at the moment, but there must be times where you're not so great. Yeah, I have my odd days. I, I have the odd... I, for, I'm in this six-month program of chemotherapy, which is one week. It's one week of chemo, and the next three weeks is off the chemo, but the one week's heavy. It's a triple dosage, and, and then you've got to get through the next three weeks and just keep building. And, but I, I, I don't care. As they said, you know, we're doing this to attack whatever could be there. And I said, go for it. And I think instead of, oh, well, can we cut back on this? Or I don't know if I want to do that. No, this is a let's go for it uh, attitude. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's just the way it is. And it, it goes quite quickly. You know, yeah, but you do have times where you sort of don't get out of bed for a couple of days. And there's times you get going. So, um, yeah, it, it's interesting how it all happens. And there's a lot of other people out there going through stuff. So... It's no different to them. You mentioned the Giants before. Just explain your role there, and it must have been a great joy to see them reach the grand final this year. Yeah. Oh, the Giants, when, when you think about it, uh, you know, aside when I started, I was myself, Kevin Sheedy, Alan McConnell, um, Dale Holmes and Grant Mayer and Dave Matthews and, and Deb Keane. There wasn't... And there was a lot of negativity, you know, I'd be, I was on a radio station, it was primarily rugby league. And today we've gone from being, let's say 100% rugby league in the winter to 80%, 75% and the rest is AFL. And that's, that's got to be a good thing. You know, we're building people that love coming and watching the game, we've got 30,000 members. I personally love the first three years. You know, I, I look at those kids and I keep calling them kids and I shouldn't. They're 26, 27 now, 25, 26, 27. And, but watching what they went through, you know, the n incredible losses they had to go through, over 100 points, what their parents had to go through. Mate, if they need a cuddle, I'm giving them one, you know, because they endured it and their parents endured it and even the fans did. And, and it's nothing better as an Australian. Our culture is how do you hang together you know, if you look, if you read an Australian war book, watch an individual write about his team and how the group stays together, works on doing something together to survive and keep their country going. That's what it's like. And, you know, the Giants started, let's call it from hell and heading towards heaven. And that's a good thing, you know, and I, I think um, it's, a, it's a family option. We, we tend to be at ground, our ground at at Homebush Giant Stadium is basically filled with mum and dad, two kids and a blanket. And and that's that's how it rolls. It's good fun, you know, and imagine if we do win it. But I already think we have won it. Because what the what the younger kids don't realise, and there's a whole bunch of them. And all those players from you know, if you go right back to two thousand and twelve or really two thousand and eleven, Alex Carey was our first ever captain. Now he plays cricket for Australia. But 2012, you know, the, I don't want to ever forget all of those players. And they just need to know we, we will never forget them because they built. And it was great to see them fight. And they hung in. And it was it's a really special thing. We've got a family club. It's, I feel lucky. What was grand final day like for you? 
yeah, tough. Uh, but, you know, I'd rather be there than sitting at home or, you know, doing nothing, just watching someone else play. Uh, I'd rather be there with the chance. And, and so what if we, yeah, we got flogged. But, you know, we, we probably, we fought incredibly hard to get there. I mean, there's a lot of people that thought the, the last 11 minutes of the prelim final against Collingwood, how we survived that, there's a lot of people out there thought we should never have survived it. So to hang in there and do that was a good thing. So let's look forward to 2020. What is your role, Robbo, exactly? At, My first role was we had to get 100 corporate yeah. sponsors. The, A the AFL hadn't given a licence. So we were a concept called uh, Team GWS. And we had to get 100. And I, it was, I, could, I won't waste your time with some of the stories out there, but I, I was thrown out of a few places and a whole bunch of funny stories. But ultimately, and even it with, with here, you know, I'd, I'd had the odd abusive email. You know, why would you go to AFL, Rob? Eh? Yeah, you're talking sport, we're a rugby league town. No, and, um, you know, we, we, we grew and we got to 92 and I was panicked. And I remember saying, you know, we need eight more. And two days later, we got a phone call from the AFL and said, you're, gonna, you're done well, you're going to start earlier. And we, instead of starting in 2013, which people don't know, we started in 2012. And it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So now I work heavily in the community and we, our community program is massive along with Ali Farage and, uh, and EMAD. We, we do unbelievable amount of uh, community work. You know, we have 30,000 kids come in. We see 30,000 kids a year. It's more than, it's about 18,500, 19,000 kids come into the Giants. Uh, we've got a big classroom, schoolroom in there and they learn a lot of things. So it's, I hardly ever get to talk and do football. And I still do a bit of sponsorship stuff, but the community program is massive. And I think that's where a lot of clubs need to head. That's where they've got to connect to their communities. Away from, from work and, and sport, how's the family life? I'm guessing the kids are yeah, fair age. Yeah, now yeah well, 29-year-old, 20, mm. nearly 26 and 23. Yeah, I've got a... Uh, my 29-year-old has a seven-year-old, so I've got a seven-year-old granddaughter. Um, she's astonishing. Uh, they're both doing well. And my middle one, um, I lost her. She went to Melbourne. She married Tom Scully and lives down near Hawthorne there. And uh, that's something I don't chat too much about. Good luck to Tom. I love Tom. He's like a, like an, a stepson to me. He's a great kid. And um, Zoe's down there with Tom. And, and my son, Jake, uh, he's 23. So they're all doing pretty well. What do you like doing away from, what do you do for re relaxation these days? Uh, I like to water ski. I haven't obviously water skied for six months, but come uh, next year, that's what I'd like to be able to do. And uh, I like a bit of golf, but I can't play golf on my own. I've got to play with my mates. I normally play with Tugger or Brad McNamara um, or a few of friends. And, and the thing about it is, it can't be a nice day out. Golf has to be a bit of a war. That's just the way it is. Finally, the Riddler nickname. Who gave you that oh, and why? Well, David Friedman. Uh, I think it was, I can't remember if it was what South Australia or Western Australia, but I got a bunch of wickets and we went to the press conference and the, myself and Freddie had rolled the, the other opposition and uh, the, the, comment, uh, the, the journalist said, what's going out there, what's going on with that New South Wales team? Because when you guys get a wicket, uh, that huddle just looks like an amazing place to be. And I said, yeah, you're right. 
It is. It's a feeling and emotion and we're, we're very much together. And I said, if you could bottle what that feels like and whack it on a chemist's shelf, let me tell you, son, you'd, you'd make a lot of money. And I thought that was quite funny at the time. And I remember Freddie just, I looked at Freddie and, and Dave Freeman, he's a lovely fellow, a very straight fellow. And he looked at me and went, yeah, and we walked back inside of the boys. And, and Freddie said, you're not going to believe what Robbo's just said. So, and Freddie said, yeah, it's a great story by the Riddler. And next minute I just somehow got the Riddler, which I, I don't know if I've ever loved the Riddler, but it's fine. It'll do. Thanks for listening to this week's episode with Gavin Robertson. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends and leave a rating and a comment. This has been From Then To Now and we'll see you next week.